during these months of of all the changes that we have experienced and the sheltering in and the restrictions and the masks and uh, for many months not even being able to meet. This period of time has, for me, uh, brought to the surface as a pastor concerns and really, if you will, some of the greatest heartaches in ministry in 40 years that I've experienced, and I suppose anyone with a heart for God and a heart for his people have felt this, but I suppose of, of the greatest heartaches and heartbreaks for me in all the years of ministry are the times when someone has seemed to make a profession of faith in Christ and they seem to get off to a good start and they begin to appear to at least be growing and learning and following the Lord himself. And it great, gives us great joy to see that happening. And over the years, I've been sobered by the reality of the parable of the soils and how that in that evangelistic parable, Jesus told his own what to expect that the sower would go forth and sow the seed. And the, the seed was good seed. It was the good seed of the gospel and of the truth. And it's sown into hearts. But the problem was not with the seed or even with the sower, but the problem lies in the soils that are in the heart. And so in that parable, Jesus told of the four kinds of soils, only one of those four kinds became fertile and grew and flourished and became what we would call a success story in the Christian life, someone who followed after the Lord and followed him to the end of their days and bore fruit. The other three soils did not. And the reality of that parable has come home to me over and over through the years, and one of the areas that we find in Scripture that are emphasized in one of the precautions and warnings that we come to many times in various ways is the problem of defection. Those who begin well, but then at some point defect. They fall away. They seem to stray off. And I bring this up because during this COVID season when we can't be together, it has troubled me because in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're told that they were continually, the early church was continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another and to the breaking of bread and to prayer together. And that tells me that one of the means of God's grace, of his sustaining support and help in the Christian life, is what we benefit by being together in worship and in prayer and in the word of God together. And so, as a pastor, along with all the inconveniences and the things we whine a little bit about and we question our governor and all of, all of the externals and all of the what is probably fairly insignificant. For me, the greatest concern has been for souls. 
and the condition of the souls of our people. Because straying away comes very easy when you can cut cut one of the little lambs or sheep from the herd and separate them off, and they're alone, they become very vulnerable. And so as I've been thinking about this, and what should we share in thought together in Scripture as we come to the Lord's table today, I want to remind you of something that is so basic to the Christian life. And yet, it seems to me, and if you've grown in Christ over the years, it's those basic things that are the deepest and are the profoundest and the most meaningful in the Christian life. And we always come back to those basics. And when I think about those down through the years that I've known who have defected, who have strayed, and by the way, I'm not really interested in trying to speculate whether they're saved or not. That's not the point in my mind. The point is, is that God had a life for them, a life of a walk of faith with him that would bring about fruit in their lives and transformation in their lives because we only have one shot at this here on earth, this life of faith that we're called to. This is it. And so I'm not really speculating about whether they were saved or not saved. If they were, God will keep them, but they can certainly live a very fruitless life and not come to realize the best that God had for them. And as I've thought about this, there is one single reason that I begin, a a, a root cause, if you will, right at the root of the problem when someone strays away and defects. And almost invariably, when I talk to someone who has strayed away, I find this to be true. At some point, they have ceased to come into the holy presence of God the Father. They, at some point, their prayer life has become so depleted and so anemic that they are trying to live the Christian life entirely apart from times of personal now, not corporate, but personal, warm, meaningful, profound, heart-changing times with God himself. And every one of his children are called to have time in the presence of God the Father and to come into his holy presence and be there with him. And I'm not going to ask for hands this morning, but were I to ask how many of you have had seasons where your prayer life has almost diminished to nothing? Oh, I know, you still go through the motions. At dinner time. maybe you offer up a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for our health and our home and our family. And that our bills are paid and that we have food on our table. Thank you so much. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of prayer and times with God where you have come into his presence and it's just your soul before him. And it's life-changing. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, boy, it's been some time since I had that kind 
of encounter with God the Father, where just me, not praying for anybody else to hear, just me and the Father. So when I think about that, it reminded me of some things. And I want to just touch on one single thing today. Why is it that you hesitate and then little by little your prayer life and your time in the presence of God the Father becomes less and less and less and less? And instead of it being rich communion with God the Father and Him communicating through His Word with you and you expressing your heart to Him, that kind of warmth that a child should have with a father, Instead of that, it's just become kind of prayer by rote, prayers that you've offered a hundred times over. Um, it becomes just verbiage, but not a real soul encounter with God himself. And those of you who have had that kind of encounter with him know what I'm talking about. And yet, it shouldn't be, oh, I remember back 15 years ago when this happened and I had this wonderful encounter with God. We're called to be people of prayer, people who come boldly to the throne of grace. And so here's the question. What is it that causes us to pull back and to cease to pray and cease to worship and cease in a most intensely personal way what is it that causes us to withdraw? Because I see that single thing as the greatest danger and jeopardy of forfeiting a, a fruitful life, a growing life in the spiritual realm. Now, having said that, I want to lighten up for a moment and and just share a couple illustrations. I got this letter while Kathy was away. Kathy got this letter. We had a big pile. I went to the post office because I'd been gone seven days or so, and she'd been gone. She usually checks the mail, and so believe it or not, I went in to check it, and they said, well, you have three different parcel boxes in addition to your normal box. So I went home with this pile of mail. So I got home, and I was kind of whipping through it, and I came across this. Guess who this letter is from to Kathy, Catherine Hope Pinkham. It's, it's addressed Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. And I thought, my goodness, how does she rate? I never got one of these. <laughs> um, so she has this, and, 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 and of course it's, it's looking for support, and it's looking for surveys, and many of you may have got them. But what if I had opened it, and the letter inside said, Catherine H. Pinkham, you have been honored and invited to personally come with, with plane flights, taxis, hotel, everything is comped for you, and you have been invited to come to the White House and to come to the Oval Office, and you have scheduled on such and such a date 30 minutes alone, just you and President Trump. And then 
as I read on, I began to realize nobody goes into the Oval Office to spend time with the President of the United States without having the proper credentials. Nobody. And so here was this questionnaire that Kathy would have to fill out. Here were all these checks and balances regarding her and her background and so on. When she finally comes, of course, to Washington, D.C., and she goes to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and she goes up there, she is hit by several different checkpoints, but long before she ever gets to the Oval Office as the Secret Service and those in charge rifle through her credentials to make sure she can come into that Oval Office before the Commander-in-Chief of our forces, the President. Credentials. In other words, what credentials do you have to come in here and sit across from the, from the desk of the President and spend 30 minutes with him? Now, having said that, change shift now and let's say that you are tomorrow going to carve out 30 minutes and you're going to come into the very holy of holies, into the very presence of the God of heaven and earth, the Father Almighty, who is eternal, who had no beginning, no ending, who spans eternity with his infinite being, and the splendor of his sheer holiness, righteousness, and perfection. And you're going to come before him who, by the way, already knows you from head to foot and every conceivable thing about your life, about everything. He is omniscient and all-knowing. You're going to come into his holy presence and you're going to spend 30 minutes talking to him and have him speak to you from his word. What right do you have? What credentials must you present if you are to come into his presence? And it's the failure on our part to recognize that we have been granted credentials. And that's why we pull back and withdraw from personal times of meaningful, warm, and enriching times of prayer before God in the presence of the Father. We, we at times need to get back to the basics and ask ourselves, on what basis do I have a right to come into his presence? And I believe there are a number of credentials, but uppermost of them all, we find in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you would turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. And by the way, this is not my normal three or four or five point message. This is more of a meditation to bring us to communion. Hebrews chapter 10. After spending four chapters focused on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and his perfect and completed work. And in this chapter, the word once for all is used over and over and over. He, the perfect son of God, has offered this sacrifice once for all to bring us to God. In verse 19, we read, and I'm going to read down through verse 25, and then we'll back back up. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, and when we say holy place, we mean the presence of God the Father. Drawing from the Old Testament image that only the high priest once a year could go in, could go into the holy place, and only for a few minutes, and no one else was allowed. And now we're being told all of God's sons and daughters can enter the holy place when they want to, when they so desire, and have an audience with God the Father. So verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil or accusing conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You see that? Why would, why would the writer with his pastoral heart say, hold fast? if we didn't have a tendency to let go? Why would he say, without wavering, unless every one of us in this room have a tendency to waver? Let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In this verse 19, when you back up, we are told, here's how you're to come. And the reason that you can come into the presence of God the Father is because, not because you're worthy, not because you've been living a spotless Christian life, not because you haven't been struggling. No, no, no. You come to God the Father because he himself has provided the credentials. If were Kathy to go into the Oval Office to meet with the president, those credentials would be very important. They would be crucial. Nobody just walks in there. 
And nobody walks into the presence of the throne room of the Almighty without credentials. And the credentials that you have and I have are stated for us in those simple words. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by these credentials, the blood of Jesus Christ. So there is one seated at the right hand of God the Father right this moment. He's a man, and he's God. And he still bears in his body the wounds of his sacrifice when he shed his blood on the cross for us. Now, thinking about these credentials, it's important that you have confidence in those credentials. But you know what? There's someone else more important than you or me who has confidence in these credentials. I want you to see that with me now as we look back in the Old Testament to a familiar passage, but we're only going to look at a couple of the verses. Isaiah chapter 53. And this is such a monumental passage in the Old Testament. It's amazing that Isaiah the prophet, it's as though he were able to be transported 700 years ahead of time into the future and sit at the foot of Calvary and watch the Son of God. Watch him yield up, render up himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we're, not, we're just going to look at some selected passages because I have one verse I want you to see. And if you don't remember anything else this morning, you'll, you'll want to remember this one. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows... He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. What vivid language from an Old Testament prophet. What accuracy. He was pierced through. He was crushed. Some some. Translations, instead of saying he was crushed for our iniquities, it says he was, he was wounded. That's a bad translation because there's all kinds of wounds. I have gouges and scabs and sores from working on that deck at my daughter's home. They're wounds. That's not the Hebrew word here. It's crushed. On the cross, he was crushed. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We know that. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, and you notice it's in capital letters, Yahweh, the triune God, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 
And then as you look down at verse 10, it says, but the Lord, again, capitals, God the Father was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will see his spiritual offspring. And he'll see them from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who have heard, believed, and embraced the gospel and turned to him. He will prolong his days through the resurrection and the ascension to glory. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now here's the verse I want you to see. Verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. When I come, when God the Father says, little Tony, weak, struggling, faltering little Tony, come to me. Tony, come into my holy presence. And as you do, know this, that I, God the Father, hold in highest conceivable esteem to the point of infinite satisfaction. I am satisfied with what my son did on your behalf, and I count what he did as your credentials to come into my presence. I am satisfied. And so we, we see the mystery unfold. We can read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can follow the life of Christ. We can watch the chapters towards the end of those four Gospels as they move towards Calvary and towards the cross. And we hear his cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To which he hears nothing. Silence. Because he was rendering himself a guilt offering under the judgment of God's fiery, holy wrath. And at some point, mysteriously, which we do not fully understand, at some point on that cross, after those six hours had transpired and darkness had fallen over the land, all of this is going on. This mysterious thing happens over in the temple, over the wall and in the temple. This massive veil is rent from top to bottom. What was that veil standing in front of? the holy place. It was torn asunder, showing us that the way into the presence of God the Father has now been provided. The sacrifice has been offered. The credentials have been secured. And so at some point when the Lord Jesus somehow knew that all that was necessary for these credentials for us 
and for the appeasement and satisfying of God the Father, when he knew it was completed, he sighed a deep sigh from the cross, and then he lifted his voice and mustered up all the strength that was left in him to cry, It is finished. Father, I have done it. Our children now will forever be admitted into your presence, for I have provided the credentials that they did not have on their own. Is that not glorious truth? And we forget this, don't we? And that's why our prayer life oftentimes is so diminished. It's barely a flickering candle when it ought to be a torch because we have forgotten that none of us go into the presence of God to present ourselves like the man in the temple. Two, two men went up to pray, remember? And one stood and said, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, swindlers and hypocrites, and, and in fact, like this tax collector over here, bowing in the corner. I tithe, I give, I do my religious duties. I'm here to present my credentials. But the tax collector wouldn't even lift his head. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me. Restore me. And Jesus affirmed the tax collector and said, this man went down justified, right with God. Why? Because the man who stood bringing his own credentials was rejected. But the man who knew he had none and needed the grace and mercy of God, he had more than enough credentials. So my question is this, verse 10 says that God the Father looking on his son, seeing the anguish of his soul as he gave himself on the cross for his people, God the Father sees it and is satisfied. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you satisfied with what God the Father is satisfied with? Are you satisfied? Or do you think you need to bring something to add to those credentials? Now, like I said, this is just one of a number of credentials. One of the great credentials, of course, is sonship. The, the miracle of new birth and being made his and transferred from the slavery of sin to a new kind of slavery, a slavery in the love of God, a slavery of devotion. Credentials. Are you satisfied with what God the Father is satisfied with? Because when you come into his presence, this is awesome. Think about it. You come into his presence and you say, 
Hello, Father. It's me. How does he feel towards you? Well, the credentials to come into his presence have been forever settled. Once for all, Hebrews 10 over and over says, he offered up one sacrifice for all time. There's nothing more for us to do. And that's why Jesus is the one who said, do this in remembrance of me. This, these are our credentials. <laughs> Not awesome? Something so simple, something so everyday, something so as mundane as something like bread and a cup with a little juice in it. But it's what it means. It's the implications of what communion really means. So as we come to communion together today, I hope that in the quietness of this time together, we'll do a little singing and a couple of the elders will come and assist. And as we do this, I, I hope that you will be able this morning in a most personal way. First of all, many of you, like I do at times, need to say, Heavenly Father, I've been avoiding you. Because I haven't been doing all that well in my walk and haven't been your word much and there's a few things that are troubling me. And, and so I didn't feel like I had the credentials to come into your presence. And now you've heard, you never had the credentials to start with. And if the credentials are based on yourself, you will never have them. But Father, I'd forgotten something so simple. The credentials of the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that satisfied your eternal heart. So Father, in these moments of communion, I come to you. And I thank you for Jesus, my Savior. I thank you that he's right there, right now. I'm here in this little church building in Kettle Falls, and he's at your right hand. And he is my credentials. Life in him, fellowship with him, communion with him, union with him. I've been made alive, and I can come, Father. You even tell me to come boldly, confidently to the throne of your grace. And there in the very holy of holies, your presence, I can say, hello, Father. How I love you. How grateful I am that I'm yours. And while our world seems to be crazier by the day, you are faithful to your promises. And come what may, no matter what the landscape looks like, Viruses, plagues, famines, earthquakes, floods, fires, 
all that this old world is experiencing. And yet you are faithful to all your word and all your promises. Father, thank you. I could not be more secure than being united to Jesus Christ, the living one, and destined for a home in glory with you. See, that's what God wants. He wants us to come to him, not just with a grocery list of requests, but to say, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me your own. Thank you for being so faithful. And this morning, I thank you for reminding me of the credentials that you have given me that completely satisfy you in the sacrifice of your son. Isn't it wondrous? It is. So, as the team comes back up, we're going to kind of mingle a song with the taking of communion together. and We'll have prayer for each of the elements, and we'll also have prayer for the offering time. I think we'll dispense with the reading of the book today, but, I, but I'll probably ask one of the elders to lead us in prayer for our offering, and we'll just finish up. And we're not in a hurry. You noticed I, I, I shortened up the message so that we could just enjoy this time at the table together. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. Amen.